0: This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 183,
1: live from AirVenture 2018, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike
0: Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Neuville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Live from Oshkosh,
1: it is Stuck Mike Afghast episode 183. This is Russ Rosleski here with
2: Larry Overstreet and Bill English
3: and Victoria.
1: And we have had a great time this week. We've got a bunch of wonderful interviews for you to listen to. We hope you enjoy it. If you are not here at Oshkosh 2018, you should be. Uh, But we will accept you coming next year instead in 2019, and we hope to see you then. However, if... If you are and you have gotten some pictures, we want it, we want Victoria to tell you where to send them.
3: Please use uh, hashtag, I almost said pound sign, hashtag Stuck Mike Selfie whenever you're flying, whenever you're at air show, and whenever you see us, come get a selfie.
2: Absolutely. Larry, how's your week been? It's been fantastic. The weather this year is amazing. It's cool, it's dry, it's a wonderful week to wander around and see airplanes and see our friends that we only get to see once or twice a year. Bill, you just arrived, didn't you? Did just this afternoon to a beautiful day. We're looking
4: forward to the night air show tonight. Got postponed, but looking forward to that. Great crowd, great, lots of airplanes here.
1: That's right. We're recording this on a Thursday, and of course the night air show is usually on a Wednesday, but they postponed it for weather. Victoria, how's your week been?
3: It has been amazing. I'm camping for the first time in a long time, and uh, there's 11,000 spaces for camping. That means there's at least like 20,000 people camping around here, so uh, I'm making a lot of friends.
1: Super. All right. Well, I got here on Wednesday. We flew in from Oklahoma City. Not a cloud in the sky the whole way. Light winds, smooth. It was beautiful day. Nice and sunny. Couldn't have asked for better weather. Uh, we're hoping the same goes the same way on our way back on Sunday, of course, but we'll see. Um, so give the, give the interviews a little bit of listen here. Of course, as always, if one you're not interested in, hit skip and go to the next one. We've got lots of great stuff for you. This is Russ Rosluski from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting from AirVenture 2018, standing here in front of Chart It All with Trevor Simonel. Good morning, Trevor. Good morning, Russ. Thanks for having me. Well, this is a great event. I know this is your first time at Oshkosh. We've seen you at Sun & Fun quite a bit. You volunteered at Sun & Fun Radio. I know you from there. I've known you for a few years. But here you have your uh, Chart It All booth here. And tell me about what kind of products you're selling here.
5: Yeah, so Chart-It-All, we do all of your favorite custom aeronautical chart products. So we do the leggings, the shirts, the socks, phone cases... We do shower curtains even. We do just about anything you can think of. We're even working on boxers too. And those will be unveiled later. But we can do everything. And the really great thing about it is everything is completely custom. So it is your home airport where you first soloed, wherever you want. We can add a logo. We can add text, whatever you want. It is 100% custom, tailored to your specific needs and what you want.
1: Well, I've got a shirt of my own that I bought from you a couple years ago. And it's holding up great. I mean, I don't know what kind of process you're using for the printing, but it
5: certainly works out really, really well. So you mentioned the process, and we use a process called dye sublimation printing, right? So the ink is embedded into the fabric. They're really, really high-quality products. All the printing here uh, is done here in the U.S., and uh, basically the dye sublimation process allows the ink to be permanent, and it's not going to fade after you wash it. It's really, really high-quality. They're really great shirts. The shirts themselves are really high-quality. They help with sweating. They're great to wear out at air shows, stuff like that. So they're really great products.
1: I see all kinds of things. I see a tie. I see a glasses case. Some coffee mugs. A surfing tray. Thermos bottles. Uh, just all kind of Christmas ornaments, and it, and it's all custom stuff. Now, obviously, here at Oshkosh, they have a lot of pre-printed Oshkosh stuff, but but uh, but they're. You can order stuff from them year-round with
5: anything on it. Absolutely. So we do have some Oshkosh products in stock, but it's only day four, and we've already sold out of our ties and our leggings, or Oshkosh leggings. Uh, we do have a couple other products. We've got some coffee mugs and Tervis cups. And we have a few socks and shoulder bags left, but that's it. And they're running out fast. So if you're at Oshkosh, uh, be sure to stop by and get, uh, pick up your Oshkosh products, or you can order custom but yeah, it, that's exactly it. You can order year round from us, ChartItAll.com, or you can find us on social media, just at ChartItAll. We do all sorts. We have all sorts of information on there that you can find. So yeah, you can order from us uh, anytime.
1: Yeah, this is fantastic product you have here. I really like it. I, I also have a bag tag uh, that's that's doing great. You know, it's, it's personalized for my local airport there in Oklahoma City. I. Says not for navigation, but you know, hey, if I forget my chart, I guess I'm okay. Uh, now, so the other thing, that this is, this is radio, this is a podcast, so one of the things that people may not realize is that Trevor is how old? I'm 15 years old. I just turned 15 in June. That's right, and you actually started this company a few years back, right? Why don't you tell us about that whole story, why this company, why you're so excited about being an entrepreneur?
5: Right, so I started this company when I was 11 years old to pay for flight training, then ultimately college at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University or wherever I end up going. You know, there are a lot of options out there, and I'm starting to starting to look at that now. I'll be a junior in high school this year, so really starting to look at that. But ultimately, that was the whole point of the company, was to pay for flight training, because as we all know, Avgas is not cheap, and it's certainly not getting any cheaper. Neither is flight instruction. Um, and, you know, my, par- my dad's a photographer. My mom's a teacher. We certainly can't pay for it out of the pocket. So we came up with this idea when I was 11 years old. We debuted at Sun and Fun, uh, a couple years ago and so far everything has been going great. My parents have been incredibly supportive and here we are now in Oshkosh we're in Sporty's pilot shop now we're expanding rapidly things are going really great. So
1: you're 11 years old and, and you know you want to be a pilot and, and do all these things and Maybe you took a few flights then, but a little young to really start flight training. But now you're 15. You've taken some flight training, right?
5: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm 15 now. I actually soloed a glider. I did glider flight training back when I was 14 last year. And now I'm just kind of waiting. I'm still doing my flight training flights, working up towards my solo uh, next summer uh, on my 16th birthday. That's the plan as long as the weather holds out, of course. That is exciting. I've soloed a
1: glider, too, and it's a wonderful feeling of flying, isn't
5: it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Soaring is honestly my favorite type of flying. It doesn't get much better than just being up in the clouds with no engine, nice and quiet, you, do, you know, doing your thing, flying uh, the way the birds fly. Now, this is
1: uh, your first booth at an event. I mean, you've been at Sun and Fun before, but you didn't have a booth. You are just kind of, you were volunteering at a radio station. You're kind of around, but you got a booth here. And Tell me about what's that like? What's the experience like to be a vendor at Oshkosh?
5: Yeah, so it's actually really overwhelming because, you know, Oshkosh, it's such a big air show. It is the world's largest air show. And there are, you know, so many people here and so many airplanes. And it's just, it's an absolutely incredible experience. And showcasing here at Oshkosh is amazing. We've had so many people come by, learn about our products, learn about the story, buy our products. Let's just say that we're exceeding expectations when it comes to the sales at Oshkosh. Things are going really, really well. We'll be back next. Year, absolutely, we're looking at getting a bigger booth space since things are going that well. Wow. So, things are really good. I'm you know, I'm really excited to see where this goes. It sure <laughs> sounds like it. Uh, anything
1: else you want to tell us about Chart It All or your products?
5: Not really, just be sure to find us on all social media at Chart It All, and you can Google us, chartitall.com, and you can order from the website. Feel free to email us if you guys have any questions whatsoever. Like I said, we can add logos, text, uh, names, what photos, we can do photos on Christmas ornaments, your favorite in-flight photo whatever you want, it truly is 100% custom.
1: What if there's something that I think I might want but it isn't listed on your website as a product, can you maybe work with us on that?
5: Absolutely, all you have to do is just send us a message through the website it's really easy, we never say no to anything we, we truly, we do what you want, we make it uh, we make the product exactly what you want If it's whether it's a photo or whether it's a logo truly, whatever you want we can make it happen
1: Fantastic. Well, Trevor, thank you very much for your time. Uh, Again, that's chartedall.com. Of course, all over social media as well. Uh, I hope you have a great rest of the show here at Oshkosh.
2: And this is Russ Rosleski for Stuck Mike Avcast. And hello, everybody. This is Larry Overstreet with the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting live from Oshkosh 2018. Uh, And I am in the Vintage Area again, and I'm standing here in front of a 1943 Piper TG-8 training glider. Um, It's the 75th anniversary of that aircraft, and I'm here with uh, Jay Bell, who is um, from the Western Antique Airplane and Automobile Museum in... Uh, We are
6: in uh, Hood River, Oregon, uh, which is about 50 miles east of Portland, Oregon, in the Columbia River Gorge. Um, and I run the airplane restoration shop at the museum, and restored this airplane about a year ago. It's a basically a J3 Cub without an engine. So it, at the at the Piper factory, they took the J3 slash L4 airframes as they were going down the assembly line, and they take take one. Uh, After it came out of the primary jig, put it in another jig and weld a front end on it for a third seat. So it's got three seats in a row. If you fly it solo, you fly from the very front seat uh, where the engine used to be. Um, These these gliders were used to train the uh, WACO CG4 troop glider pilots that uh, flew into Normandy on D-Day and in Operation Market Garden. Um, When they first started training the glider Pilots in 1942, they were using sailplanes from Schweitzer and Lester Kaufman, and they uh, had like a 22 to 1 glide ratio, which was too good, and so they switched to these uh, power, um, converted powered aircraft uh, that had a similar glide ratio to the Waco Hadron gliders. Um, and actually, in the interim between the sailplanes and these converted power planes, they actually take like a Piper L four up and climbed altitude and shut the engine off and glide back down. And then once they got these Piper TG-8 gliders in service, TaylorCraft also modified the L-2. We'll wait for some noise to pass. TaylorCraft also modified the um, L-2 airframe into a glider, which was the TG-6, which is also a three-seater, and Aronka Modified the uh, L3 airframe into a, the TG5, which is also three seated in a row. Um, we also we have an airworthy TG6 down in Warbirds in the Training Command, and we have an airworthy TG4, which is the Lester Kaufman. Uh, glider, which is uh, got a 50 foot wingspan and 22 to 1 glide ratio. And that's the sailplanes they used early on. We just wanted to show the contrast. Whereas the CG 8 has about a 10 to 1 glide ratio, which is comparable to if you took your average general aviation aircraft up and shut the engine off. And um, this was a very successful training program during World War II because they were able to tra- train two pilots at once you know, the instructor and two students. Once you know the advanced student graduated, he'd always fly in the front seat. Once he graduated, they'd move the novice up and they'd put a new guy in. Um, so they were able to get three people through quickly. And they didn't really need to know a whole lot other than just to fly on tow and be able to make a controlled crash. Um, they would try to reuse the, the troop gliders if they could after they you know would land and if they could secure a place where they could pull them out again. But primarily is a one-use thing. But these training gliders were used and used and used and used because they only built 250 of each model. So there were 750 total of these built, um, which is relatively small in number compared to, like, 10,000 steamers for the war effort. But it was a successful training program. Um, it's really neat. This is the only airworthy example right now. Um, and our TG-6, which is a craft, is also the only airworthy example. Um, and it's just really neat. A lot of attention here because a lot of people have flown a Piper Cub and seeing this TG-8 Piper Cub glider is really awesome to a lot of people and we're getting a nice dead grass pattern in the shape of the airplane around here. So uh, come by either at Vintage to see the TG-8 or at Warbirds Training Command to see the TG-6 Taylorcraft and the TG-4 Lester Kaufman. And um, if you're ever in Oregon, uh, come and visit the Western Antique Airplane and Automobile Museum. We have uh, about 120 airplanes, mostly from the 20s, 30s, and early 40s as well as 150 cars from you know 1900 up through about 1965 1970 Um, so there's pretty much there something there for everybody Um, it's awesome takes about a day to go through and see everything Um, and just have fun look at airplanes learn something about history that sounds like a ton of fun is there
2: an airport identifier there that people can uh, put in their
6: gps and come in yes it's 4s2 4S2. Uh, 4S2, Ken, Jer- uh, Ken Jernsted Airfield. Ken Jernsted was uh, the f- uh, Flying Tiger, uh, the AVG, okay. and he was the mayor of Hood River for a number of years. So um, he, the airport is named after him.
2: Very cool, very cool. Well, Jay, thank you so much for your time today to tell us about this really amazing and and pretty unique... More airplane noise. Really unique airplane. Um, it, the restoration on it is absolutely beautiful. It's just, it's uh really, really well done. Uh thank you again for, for taking the time to talk to us. Of course, thank you so much. All right, and this is Larry Overstreet with Stuck Mike Avcast, uh, reporting from Oshkosh 2018. All right, this is Bill English reporting for the Stuck Mike Avcast
4: live at Oshkosh, EAA Air Venture 2018, and we are at Oshkosh. Well, of course we're at Oshkosh. That's where AirVenture is. But we are literally at Oshkosh. Oshkosh Equipment Company is here. Probably seen all their stuff on the other side of the field. Um, And they've got a display out here with uh, a lot of airport emergency equipment along with some other stuff here. And uh, we're talking with Katie here from uh, Oshkosh Equipment. Uh, Can you... uh, Give us a little background on just what Oshkosh uh, uh, is all about, the company, not the city, not the airport. And uh, we'll talk about some of the airport rescue and firefighting equipment around here that you might see around your local airport.
7: Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today. Well, Oshkosh Corporation was actually founded in 1917, so we're more than 100 years strong. We got our start by building some uh, off-road four-wheel drive vehicles, and we've been added since that time. So, we do airport rescue vehicles. We do snow trucks that are used on airport runways. Military vehicles. Um, we do concrete mixers, refuse vehicles, fire trucks. The Pierce brand um, is part of the Oshkosh family. JLG Industries is part of the Oshkosh family. So. Big trucks, awesome equipment. That's part of the Oshkosh family. And like I said, more than 100 years strong. We're about uh, 3,500 team members right here in Oshkosh and more than 15,000 team members around the world. Publicly traded company and our awesome products, especially our airport products, can be found in more than 150 countries around the world. And, of course, we've certainly
4: seen this kind of stuff all around your local airport. Probably has something uh, like this at the airport fire department or, like you said, the you know airport management got snow removal for those of you in the northern parts of the country and um, things like that, the construction vehicles. So we want to talk a little specifically about some of the airport uh, rescue and firefighting equipment and the capabilities, what uh, pilots might be interested in and uh, what could happen if there is some kind of a... You know, mishap, a fire or something at their airport. Uh, we're looking uh, just over to, I think it's my left. Um, we've got a, a rig over there with this uh, great big probe on it. Can you tell us all about that and what that's all about, at, uh, how that would be used at an airport?
7: Absolutely. So here at AA, we have our Oshkosh Striker. Um, the Oshkosh Striker can be found on airport runways around the world. We've got one here at Whitman Field. But, you know, really, airports around the world, you never know when you're going to have an emergency. So these are those slime green vehicles. And, you know, sometimes they're in different colors, you know, depending on where you are. But um, what we're talking about, there's a snozzle on it, you know, funny name, I know, but the snozzle is actually the piercing mechanism. So in an emergency, you know, if it's needed to pierce the airplane, that's what's going to pierce the fuselage. And, you know, it looks pretty scary, but it gets the job done. So these Oshka Strikers, there's some different options you can get it in. There's a 4x4, 6x6, and we recently unveiled an 8x8 they are monsters. They're designed to go on the runway, off the runway, and one thing that's really cool about them, they have uh, Oshkosh Corporation's proprietary TAC4 independent suspension system. So, these amazing Striker vehicles are designed to go on the runway, but they can handle that rugged terrain that might be on the, you know, runway uh, airport grounds as well. So the driver inside controls everything right at their fingertips. You know, he or she has a huge windshield, tons of buttons, you know, control everything. Um, you know, they can usually hold about 1,500 gallons of water, a little bit of foam mixture in there as well.
4: So is that what the snozzle the is for? You talked about it piercing the fuselage. Is that is that to cut it open exactly. for rescue or for uh, firefighting uh, foam?
7: Yep, exactly. So for firefighting foam, um, you know, hopefully not too much of a rescue, but you never know. But again, just to get that water and foam inside in an emergency, you hope it's something you don't need. But, you know, we always want to be prepared. So it's another way that we're trying to keep our customers safe and allow them to keep their airport safe.
4: Great, yeah, and we have, it looks like a foam truck over to the side as well with a a great big dispenser on that as well. Give us a little... A few fun facts about the foam dispenser and what that can do?
7: Absolutely. So um, also here at our airport or at our Oshkosh Corporation booth, we have one of our Pierce fire apparatus. The one to my right here, it's a Pierce Ascendant, which is one of our newer fire apparatus. So this vehicle right here is one of our you know highest technology and what is really unique about this vehicle, um, the ladder, which we do not have up all the way because otherwise our friends in the control tower get mad at me, goes 107 feet on the air but what's really unique is that it's built on a single rear axle so this is really the first time in the industry that that's been done and this is really geared towards you know those urban areas where there's a lot a lot of people and you need to get up as high as possible so this gives um, firefighters and communities that maneuverability that they need and you know we've got a lot of kids who love climbing in these Uh touching every single button possible thank goodness we got the batteries disconnected but uh, we also got a lot of volunteer firefighters out here and great to see them getting excited about our products as well.
4: Excellent. And that sounds good, uh, Katie. Thank you for that. And, uh, you know, hopefully our uh, our listeners here will only just be able to look upon these uh, great vehicles out at their local airport and uh, not have to use them. But uh, when... If the time comes, we'll know that there's uh, this kind of technology out there to help keep us safe uh, on the airports. Any uh, any last words? Anything else you'd like to let our listeners know uh, about uh, you know airport rescue and firefighting uh, equipment and procedures in general?
7: Absolutely. Yeah. Again, just thanks for listening. You can come say hi at the Oshkosh Corporation booth near the control tower. And we're proud to have been in the you know fire airport industry for 100 years.
4: Great. Thank you very much. Uh, talking with Katie Haskell of Oshkosh. Equipment Company at Oshkosh, the airport at EAA AirVenture 2018. This is Bill English for the Stuck Mike Avcast.
1: This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting from AirVenture 2018. Standing here with Mark Scheuer from PS Engineering. Hi, Mark. Hey, Russ. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing great. It's a great show. I came by yesterday and got to try out one of your new uh, intercom products uh, here. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but tell us a little bit about what PS
8: Engineering does. Well, we solve cockpit communication problems, and we've been doing that since 1985. When I graduated from college and saved some money, I went and bought myself a $5,000 Grumman AA-1A. I looked at uh, the existing intercoms that were in the marketplace, and they just didn't suit my needs, so I decided to have a um, intercom that met my requirements. and. It was called the AeroCom, and since then we've been just adding the capabilities that pilots want, not just for feature sake, but to provide benefits in their cockpit communication systems. So is it all intercom products here at PS Engineering? Uh, Mostly audio panels now. The company did start off with just intercoms, but most of the aircraft now are integrating their intercom with the audio panel. But we still sell our... uh, PM1002, which has been our uh, rock for the standalone intercom, but our more current audio controllers with the capabilities that pilots are asking—that's our majority of our business now today. So the one that I got
1: to test yesterday, the audio panel, was the uh, PMA450B, and. You have a real interesting display set up here at Oshkosh. Unfortunately, on the podcast here, no one's going to get to come by here because it's going to be after the show. But, uh, but it was a real interesting demo. And why don't you tell me uh, about this, uh, this audio panel and what I found so interesting?
8: Well, Russ, the fact of the matter is the last thing you want to do is fiddle with your audio controller when you're flying your airplane. You need to be aviating, navigating, and communicating. So what we needed to do is provide all this additional capabilities that pilots want, but not to add to the workload. So we decided to use a graphics display with a simple three soft key approach. So going one or two levels down, you can make this audio panel do just about anything you wanted to. In fact, there are two functions that no other company has in the world. Versus FlightMate. It's an integrated audio alerting system that allows the pilot to either use the canned messages to be alerted if their fuel is low or they have a manifold pressure issue. Or they can actually create their own audio alert, uh, alerts simply by wearing the pilot's headset and recording what they want to hear when that event occurs. The other thing that makes the PMA450B extremely unusual is it has dual Bluetooth mechanisms. So this provides an unprecedented amount of flexibility. Folks that want to listen to their hardwired XM radio can also listen to the audio alerts coming from their iPad. And if they get a phone call, they're going to see the the caller ID on the graphics display. They'll know if they want to answer the phone or not. (laughs) That
1: is amazing. That's a bunch of great features. I think one thing that really stands out with this demo you have here is just a typical example of I was flying up here to Oshkosh, and, well, we're listening to air traffic control, and then we had to get the ATIS to come in, and, oh, my goodness, it was all overlapping, and we were playing the game of, Turn the volume down on one on air traffic, but you don't want to do that too long because they might call you and back and forth. And and it's always a bit frustrating when ATC
8: is talking and you're trying to listen to the weather or vice versa. Well, you can imagine how lucky I felt back in 2012 when the Air Force came to PS Engineering and offered to license their patented technology called Multi Talker. And through that relationship with the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, we were able to create an audio panel that actually has a personal computer inside. And what the Air Force provided were all the calculations so that we are able to place COM1 and COM2 in nine unique positions within a stereo headset. Now, Russ, you might ask, well, why would you want to do that? Well, we want to take advantage of the brain. And so while you're listening to multiple radios, it can be very overwhelming because they're kind of clashing with each other. But when you turn our Intelli audio on... You'll be able to listen to the radio that's important at any instant in time. It's kind of like when we were kids and we were doing something we weren't supposed to be doing with our buddies, and you hear your mom call. She'll get your attention immediately, exactly like air traffic control. As soon as you hear your end number, you're going to be paying attention to that radio, and you'll not pay attention to the weather. It's a very powerful tool. Well, I was pretty amazed
1: at uh, the demo you had here. You had in one setting where it was just like a normal a normal audio panel where the communications are kind of, you know, both mixed together in ears. And then you turned on this uh, Intelli-audio function, and right away, it, it separated the sounds. Uh, they sounded like they are coming from different places in my head, <laughs> I guess. And and I was able to easily focus on either the ATIS or, uh, or air
8: traffic control, whichever one I needed to listen to at the time. Well, and we even went one step further. Because of the uh, calculations that we were provided, We can actually take COM1 and COM2 and place them in nine unique positions. For me personally, the 10 o'clock for COM1 and the 2 o'clock position for COM2 is ideal. But for the aging population, which is including me nowadays, we are losing some of our hearing. And we may not be losing the same amount in each ear. So IntelliAudio can actually bring the comm closer to your ear. We're not increasing the volume, we're just placing the audio source closer to your ear for that maybe that is the ear that isn't as sensitive as the other. It's great. It's a great tool to help with communications.
1: And I think it's one of those things that's kind of hard to understand
8: until you actually, actually try it out like, like I did. Well, you know, what we do is something very unconventional. I will ask the uh, pilot To ignore air traffic control and just pay attention to weather. And we do that for about 20 seconds with the Intel audio off. And it's really hard. As for myself, as an IFR pilot, I would constantly be, as you just mentioned, turning down COM2, that was air traffic control. Oh, it wasn't for me. Turn up COM2 again. There's another radio call. Then I tell them, don't listen to air traffic control. Pay attention to the weather. Do that for about 15, 20 seconds. I turn Intel audio on, and the expressions I get on pilots' faces come fr- from a hum- uh, very humorous to a very serious because they get it. They can actually take advantage of being able to listen to the radio that's important at that incident time. And in this case, they can ignore air traffic control and just listen to weather. Yeah, it was pretty fascinating. I was pretty amazed. Um, anything else you want to tell
1: us about uh, this PMA 450B?
8: Well, I would just say this is a culmination of 33 years of being focused, single-minded about audio control, and thanks to all the pilots out there. Russ, if it wasn't for pilots, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I'm not talking about sales. Well, that's a big part of it as well. But it has to do with getting what they want into our products. Uh, when we first introduced the PMA-450, we immediately got some positive feedback of how we could make it improved. So we came out with a PMA 450A. And then two years later, we got a whole lot of additional advice, and we came out with the 450B. So in closing, I just want to say that PS Engineering is the only company that has the widest range of audio controllers to meet just about anybody's mission. From a $995 audio panel with mono intercom of course, the PMA 450B with dual Bluetooth, caller ID, digital recorder, etc. We've got an audio panel that will fit your listeners' needs. Sounds great, Mark. Thank you very much. Uh, Give us a website here. Uh, ps-engineering.com
1: All right. Well, we'll definitely go check that out and uh, see some of your other products there. Mark Sawyer, thank you very much. This is Russell Zaleska from AirVenture 2018
2: hello everybody this is Larry overstreet with the stuck mike avcast coming to you live from oshkosh 2018 and we are in the uh, vintage area of oshkosh with a really cool plane here Um, it is a a vintage stearman that has been beautifully restored by richard and sue packer Uh, and richard is with me here to tell you a little bit about it Uh, thanks richard for taking the time to talk to us today
9: well certainly and i'm happy to be here this is the uh uh, 30th time we've flown this airplane back to Oshkosh and the airplane uh, originally was uh, came out of the factory July the 24th of 1943. In 1947 it was uh, sold surplus uh, to a man in West Bend, Wisconsin and was converted to a crop duster. In 1979, we bought this airplane from his estate and restored it back to original condition. In 1986, we brought it to Oshkosh for the first time, and it won the Grand Champion Antique here in '86. And we, the airplane's returned 30 of 32 years
2: that's amazing it is a gorgeous airplane i took some pictures of it uh, before we started talking so i can post those for people to see um how long did that take to do the restoration of
9: well we were seven years doing the restoration when we got the airplane it had different engine propeller on it which i wanted it was the reason i bought it for my agricultural aircraft because i crop dusted for 28 years and uh, it had high lift wings on it the, none of the front seat was there it had a spray tank in there booms and so we removed the wings and all that equipment and that stuff went to baja california mexico and then we restored the airplane back to original condition you had you had some help from family members too along the way didn't you oh yes we worked on the uh airplane for uh, seven years and my wife uh Uh, sewed up all the envelopes for it and uh, rib-stitched it and I did the painting Uh, we did the engine overhaul and we did all the work ourselves. and our son that's just turned 45 was uh, 14 when we brought the airplane up here uh, for the first time and uh, and he met a, a gentleman by the name of Ray Goss that actually converted the airplane to a sprayer and flew it all the time, it was a sprayer. And he was at Oshkosh and recognized the number on the airplane.
2: That's amazing. It's funny how airplanes that we've flown in the past sort of have a way of circling back around into our lives later on at places like this.
9: That's, that's correct. And you just, uh, you have possession of an airplane for a period of time and then it moves on.
2: Yep, yeah, but it always comes back to see us if we're lucky, you know. Um, for folks who don't know, uh, you said you brought it here 30 times uh, back to Oshkosh. Um, you are in Ohio, right, at uh, Packer Airport, and that's a privately owned but public use airport. Tell us a little bit about Packer.
9: Well, that's correct. It's a privately owned public use airport. Uh after I got out of the military in 1966, so I, I worked with mainframe computers for eight years, but I, I needed to be my own boss, so uh, we bought 17 acres in the country with the intention of putting an airstrip on it and, uh, and me flying to an agricultural spraying, and so over the years, why well, we did this spraying. I'm a licensed uh, uh, flight instructor, so is my wife, so is her son and uh, uh, we make our living at, at the airport in aviation it's a privately owned public use airport which means i don't control who lands there uh, but we do own it
2: and that's a uh, five echo niner for uh, folks who might want to look you up you are what north northwest of uh, columbus is that right that's
9: correct we're about 350 degrees and about 40 miles from columbus Columbus, Ohio, and the 5E9 or Echo 9 is the International Civil Aviation Organization's identifier. In the airport. Perfect, so we
2: can look it up in Four Flight and go directly there. You you have some other steermen as well,
9: right? Yes, in uh, in 2003, we we brought uh, three airplanes to Oshkosh, and uh, we had restored all three of those and. My wife flew one, I flew one, our son flew the other one.
2: That's amazing. It's, a, it's become quite a family affair for you guys. Uh, now, I know uh, your granddaughter, but um, and you've, you're getting ready to
9: teach her to fly as well, right? That's correct. She, she rode up here with me, and, uh, and she just turned 16. But uh, I taught our grandson how to fly in the same airplane I taught my son in.
2: That's amazing. Can you imagine learning how to fly in a Stearman? Uh, that, that is just terrific. What other aircraft do you have based at the field there?
9: We have There are five flying Stearmans based at our airport. There's a AT-6, North American AT-6 trainer, Texan, that's based there. We have two RV-6s that are there, um, and we have a Beach Baron, an F-33 Bonanza, And uh, there's a couple light sport airplanes, just aircraft that that are there, too. So that's why it has to be public use, is so we can let those other people use the airport, say.
2: Very good, very good. Let's see, any, anything else uh, that you'd like to share with us about the aircraft? I want to respect your time here. I know you've been busy this morning uh, volunteering on carts, driving people around. So, but, we, but I'd uh, love to have you, you know, any other stories or anything else you want to share, maybe about the trip over or past trips over that you've taken?
9: Well, the trip over always seems kind of slow. The uh, I have a beach bear and I travel in that cruise 185 knots, and this airplane's 80 knots, so it always seems like it's a long trip. But one thing about the airplane is uh, I test flew it in, uh, in July of 1986 after the restoration. At that time, I started a guest log for the airplane, and each different person that's written in the guest log has signed that. And uh, my wife was the first passenger. Uh, our son and daughter drew straws. He won. He was second. Daughter was third. And last fall, we just went over a thousand different people we've taken for free rides in the airplane.
2: Oh, that's terrific. What a way to share a love of aviation with, with folks. And uh, such a classic airplane, too, and, and this one is just gorgeous. Um, I encourage you uh, listeners uh, to take a look at the photos that we'll have out on the website and uh, really enjoy this airplane. It's, it's a beauty and, and really something that's been you know well cared for over the years. All right. Well, Richard, thank you. Thanks, Sue, also for all the hard work you guys do in aviation and sharing it with other people. Um, Hope to get out and see you at uh, 5 Echo Niner one of these days. I've got a really cool uh, Packer Airport hat here that I've been wearing. Um, Thank you for that as well. Uh, And uh, for the rest of you, this is Larry Overstreet for Stuck Mike Avcast coming to you live from Oshkosh 2018.
4: All right, live from Oshkosh, this is Bill English with the Stuck Mike Avcast, and we are over at this great big tent of Redbird Flight Simulations. I'm sure you've probably seen a Redbird Flight Simulator at your local school. We're here talking with Todd Willinger of Redbird, and I'd like to learn a little bit more about uh, Redbird Flight Simulators, this full motion simulator, and how did this come about? Can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the history of Redbird?
10: Well... Uh, Redbird was really started over a a lot of really good Texas brisket and Cervasus, but it was really due to the fact that a number of us spend a lot of time flying. Uh, We're in FBOs, and we didn't see flight training devices uh, being utilized in any of the flight schools, or very few. And so we decided to see if we could develop a cost-effective high-fidelity training device. And uh The first prototype we brought to Oshkosh uh, unveiled it in 2007. Uh, very proud of that device in retrospect, it was not a very well crafted or very well uh, 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 highly functioning training device. but there were enough people that I think uh, saw that perhaps we were on the right track and so uh, uh, we 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 persevered through that and went and um, got devices certified by the FAA and um Twenty-two hundred devices later, here we are in 2018, back at Oshkosh. Wow!
4: Yeah, I mean that's uh, like you said that flight training devices—they're pretty much the standard in the airline world, and now you know Redbird has come into the general aviation world uh, with that as well. Can you tell us about uh, some of the different products you have now? I mean, we've seen a, a number of different ones over here in the in the hangar of different sizes and capabilities.
10: Well, yeah, I mean we we started out with a um, uh, a full motion device because. We are under the impression that the FAA regulations are backward. Motion is required for uh, commercial ATP, type rating type devices, but those people, they need to practice emergency procedures. We believe that ab initio training should be done with motion. And so, um, that was the first device we came out with. Uh, we've created some some static devices, uh, lower cost, uh, still the same uh, feature function that you find in our motion devices. We've gone all the way down to uh, desktop devices, some which are certified by the FAA. Some are more home enthusiast-driven uh, devices, uh, even all the way down to the sim enthusiast co- community where we'll provide... Um, um, Controls for their home computers, like yokes, throttles, and 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 rudder pedals. Um, then on the top end, we we've even come out with uh, devices that are specific to a cockpit. So like a King Air 350, like a Cessna Mustang, or. If you've seen over in the booth a modified Cessna Caravan that we came out with, um, interesting. That one is on floats. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. That looks
4: exciting. I saw that. It's got some Alaska um, missions in it and everything. That looks like a lot of fun.
10: Yeah, it, it is. And this is the first time we've ever done any any type of amphib trainer. Uh, we have a uh, have a personal relationship with some of the people at at Whip Air and so they they've been kind of asking about this for a while but we were we were recently approached by a couple of different organizations specifically tropic ocean uh out of florida about uh, building a uh trainer uh caravan amphib trainer for them so you know we worked with whip air to get some of the hardware to incorporate in into the devices and uh, you know providing some of the sounds and stuff for some of the enunciations and you know that sort of stuff but uh uh, yeah, it's been an interesting project and actually a lot of fun. I, you know, to the extent now, I may have to go think about a seaplane rating.
8: <laughs> it
4: always comes back to the seaplanes, doesn't it? Yeah. That's great. That's great. We also saw there in the in the hangar some of your other initiatives. Uh, we saw the gift program, some uh, some guided training. Can can you give us a little uh, background on the uh, gift program and what that means for a, a Redbird operator?
10: Well, yeah. So. Um, well, We actually announced and started delivering last Oshkosh, but the interesting thing about GIFT, we've now taken this down where you can run this software onto our desktop devices. Uh, What GIFT is, it stands for Guided Independent Flight Training. Uh, Right now, it's just for your private pilot training, but they are scenarios, training scenarios and videos, that um, will walk a student independently through all of the flight maneuvers out of the ACS Um, The interesting thing about that is not only the training aids, but there's an AI component to it that while a student is flying it, even with the visual and audio cues as part of the training they get back, if they deviate from what would be the standard for a landing or a steep turn or a rectangular course, whatever the case may be, the computer will will detect that and will give them real-time feedback as to how they correct this to get back on on the glide slope or back within their plus or minus for their 45 degrees or 100 feet and so it is some really interesting training software and based off of something we did a couple of years ago we know it's highly effective software as well so, what you're telling me is as a flight instructor,
4: I can be replaced by a robot.
10: Well, it's not intended for that, but one of the, the there's a couple of other interesting aspects of this. One is after a student completes a lesson, we will actually score the components against the ACS um, standards. And so that data is then pushed up into the cloud where both the student can review that as well as the instructor. So, let me give you an example. They're practicing landings, right? And the instructor could go and take a look at all of the data that says they're on the glide slope, pitch and power is fine, but we see that the G-forces on landing or the nose-up attitude is fairly small. Maybe tomorrow or this afternoon when we get into the airplane and we practice our landings, that... um, I need to focus on the flare, right? So it actually would allow an instructor to be a little more effective in being able to tailor that per, the, the, the time in the airplane to a particular point of the maneuver instead of having to worry about the entire maneuver.
4: Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I mean, a great way for the, for the student to save money and time, you know, and, and not do all that stuff in the airplane. Uh, and speaking, of course, of uh, independent training in the airplane now, we're all very aware of the new amendment to Part 61 that uh, just came out from the FAA a few weeks ago uh, that definitely is right up your alley. It, it talks about instrument proficiency in advanced training devices. So how do you think that will uh, you know,
10: affect Redbird and Redbird users um, as, as we go forward? Well, we've already seen some of the effects. So and just to remind everybody, as of yesterday, July 27th, you can now off of an ATD, whether it's a basic or an advanced trainer, you can now log your instrument currency without an instructor being present in a certified device. Um, The regulations for another five months until November 27th will continue to be what they have been in the past, where it's three approaches every two months with an unusual attitude. But in November, that will change, so it'll be six and six, just like the airplane. We have seen a significant spike in sales in our certified desktop devices. Where um, some of it has been individuals, but more, more it's either been flying clubs, or a group of six or seven individuals will get together and purchase a device that they're going to put into a hangar or into an FBO that they can use collectively mm-hmm. uh, for that. So we're actually we, we've actually seen some of that on on the revenues on the product side, product sales side. Um, And there certainly has been a lot of questions and interest about that here. As a matter of fact, all of the demo devices that we brought up here, the desktop devices, have been sold, and people are going to take them home with them after the show.
4: Yeah, that's, and it's amazing i you know we, some of the uh, the displays here show the entry prices of some of these devices and when you compare to the, the cost of, of just a you know for a mid-sized flight school of a of another small training airplane or not it certainly seems to fit right in that budget
10: well right so i mean for you know with navigation data and rudder pedals which would be required as part of that but for as low as $8000 uh, a group of seven or eight people could get in at $1,000 apiece and for the next X number of years could utilize that device for, for just that, that currency. And, but here's the other thing. It's a great device to practice on. Uh, I know a number of people who come up to me, especially at Oshkosh, um, and tell me how they utilize the device if they're going to fly to an airport before, before you know some new airport they've never flown into. That they'll hop on their TD or TD two at home and they'll fly the approaches into that airport just so they have some familiar. Familiarization with that Before they get in the airplane And, and plan their trip
4: yeah. yeah absolutely Proficiency and safety all, all there in one Well thank you very much uh, We're here uh, Anything Any last uh, uh, Points you'd like to make Todd Before we sign off
10: No It's This has really been A, um, uh, a terrific show The weather's been pretty great you got to remember Right now it's You know When I left Austin Last weekend It was 110 degrees And so 65-70 degree weather Has been terrific um, I will also say the people here have seemed more upbeat this year even last year i could notice a difference in in the enthusiasm and people's feelings about aviation so you know i think some of that we got to give credit to eaa aopa some of the stuff that they have been doing for general aviation but It seems like a much happier group of aviators up at Oshkosh, you know, certainly last year, but even more so this year. And it's just been a really, really fun event for us. And so um, we we look forward to next year.
4: That's great. Nothing better than 100,000 happy aviators. And that's what we've got here live at Oshkosh. We're talking with Todd Willinger from Redbird Flight Simulations. This is Bill English for Stuck Mike Avcast signing off.
1: This is Russ Rosleski and
3: Victoria Newville
1: from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting from AirVenture 2018. Joined here by Tucker Gott of the Paradigm Aerobatic Team. Hi, Tucker. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm doing great. So what kind of aerobatic team do you have here? What's unique about your aircraft?
11: So we fly paramotors. It's basically a two-stroke engine that we strap to our back and a paraglider above our heads. We run off the ground on our feet, fly around, do all kinds of crazy aerobatic maneuvers with them.
1: That sounds pretty neat. I, I don't think I've ever seen a paraglider or paramotor aerobatic show before. What kind of maneuvers can you do with these things?
11: So the goal of our show is to kind of show the whole range of maneuvers that paramotors are capable of. We start out with some slalom turns around pylons, basically what we would do on every flight, like between trees and stuff. And then we do some aerobatics, simple aerobatics like wingovers, barrel rolls, sats. And then we have our... Manu from Spain, who is on a whole nother level, he does full-on aerobatics, he does infinite tumbles and helis, and the crazy acro that only a fraction of the people in the world are capable of, he throws down all that right in the middle of the show. You
1: used an acronym there, SATS. What is that?
11: So the acronym, it stands for Safety Aerobatic Team. It's the team of pilots that first discovered this maneuver. Basically, it's like a hardcore spiral where the glider's going forward and the pilot's going backwards. So pretty intense.
3: Victoria? How do you discover a maneuver?
11: That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, some, someone must have pulled it off and been like, wow, that's pretty neat. Let's try it again or something. I don't know.
1: I thought it was probably like the first guy on an airplane who did spins or something, right? Uh,
3: like, look what just happened here. You had a fun nickname for uh, the paragliders. What? The,
11: the, butt the butt fan? Yeah. <laughs> we fly around on butt fans.
1: Well, it is. It's dropped right to your back, right?
11: Yeah, exactly.
1: So how much does one of these rigs weigh?
11: It depends. Uh, Some of the lower-end ones are about 43 pounds. The one I fly is 60, and then they go up towards about 80, dry.
1: And what kind uh, of—this is not a high-speed endeavor, certainly, but uh, what kind of of speeds, altitudes, and such? I know you have a YouTube video at a pretty high altitude.
11: Yeah, so the highest I've been is 15,000. With the right wing and motor, you can get up to 18,000, which is like Class A airspace, so you can't go any higher. But uh, as far as speeds go, we normally cruise at like 25 to 30, and then we have a speed system we can engage to go faster, and we can hit 50 miles an hour in a straight line.
1: Really? <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Uh, what, about this YouTube channel we just, we just mentioned, so you've got a video of you uh, going up to 15,000 feet. That was pretty intense. I enjoyed watching that, and it seemed to take a while to get down, for one. Yeah, definitely a while. What other kind of things are you showing on that YouTube channel?
11: Um, basically, I just kind of document and vlog my adventures. Sometimes I do kind of crazy things like flying to McDonald's and picking up a hamburger or flying to 15,000 feet. But in between it's just whatever's going on, flying around and having fun basically.
3: How does someone get into this type of activity? Were you a pilot? Were you surrounded by aviation? Did you jump off a cliff? You know, what, how, did you, how did you start this?
11: Good question. Personally, I was involved in aviation my whole life. My mother's a hot-air balloon pilot, so from the time I was two years old, I was exposed to that. And my grandfather was a a fixed-wing pilot. Then I got my pilot's license, always wanted to fly paramotors. And uh, when I was 18, I started paramotors. The way I did it was I got hooked up with Aviator PPG, drove down to Florida, and did about a 10-day course with them. Uh, They got me about 25 flights, bought gear from them, went home, and then just kept progressing on my own.
1: So there are schools and such you go, go to to learn how to do this?
11: Yeah, exactly. In the U.S., it's not legally required to get training or have a license for these types of aircraft, but it's highly, highly recommended. So we tell everyone, link up with an instructor go through that course, and then buy your gear after. Decide after you have a little bit of experience what is going to fit you best. And then from there, you have the skills, you have the foundation, and you can just keep progressing safely on your own.
3: How do you, um, how does the training work? Because obviously there's no two-seat ones. Your first flight in it is going to be solo, correct?
11: Correct. We actually do have two-seat ones, um, but they aren't regularly used for training. Uh, it's a good tool, but it's definitely not <laughs> mandatory. The way the training progression works is you start out kiting and you just have a normal harness and you clip into your glider and we'll start in like 10 miles an hour of wind and do reverse kiting so you're looking at the glider flying it just like a kite feeling out the controls And then you'll go on to the next stage, which is uh, forward inflations, same harness, but this time with zero wind. And you're practicing just inflating that glider. A lot of the schools like Aviator PPG have a winch system, so then you get hooked up to the winch. They'll pull you up to about 50 feet. You get off the ground. You practice your flare and landing. After that, you put the motor on your back, and you just feel out what the thrust feels like. You walk around with it, get a feel for it. And then basically, once you master all that, you put it all together. And your first flight is normally all by yourself, just with a radio and your instructor talking into your ear, telling you what to do.
1: (laughs) Victoria's making faces over there. Yeah, that does sound pretty intense, Uh, but a lot of fun, too. So what are we looking at for, uh, you know, all in cost to get started? I guess like a general cost of the school and then how much to buy your own setup?
11: Yeah, so training is generally $2,500 to $3,500, depending on where you go. And that'll get you about the 10-day course and 25 flights. Um, gear is anywhere from eight dollars to $15,000, depending on what you get. And that's for brand new gear that's going to be safe, reliable, and uh, fairly easy to fly.
1: I suppose, now the way you said new gear is going to be safe and reliable implies there is used gear out there
11: correct yeah I just did an interesting video on that subject we bought a $2,500 paramotor and at first we thought it was going to be a good deal and potentially recommend it to other people but then we flew it and found out that it would actually really detract from your experience because the geometry was all off it didn't handle well and it would be really hard to learn on so it kind of reinforced my thought on if if you can't afford something that's going to be safe and you can trust your life with it just wait and keep saving money until you can get something that you can actually trust your life with
1: i think that's good advice uh, in, in all aspects of life isn't it uh, anything else you want to say about about the paramotors
11: i mean we're stoked to be here this is our yeah. third year at ea air venture and it's just great to be out and share this passion with everyone
1: so give me a couple pieces of information here uh, is there a website for the paradigm aerobatic team
11: Yep, Paradigm Aerobatics. Um, It's also Aviator PPG. If you're looking into getting instruction or gear, search them, and uh, they'll have links to all their affiliate people throughout the U.S. And what about you, the YouTube channel? Yeah, if you just search my name, Tucker Gott, and it's G-O-T-T, it'll come right up on YouTube. Got lots of paramotor information and videos out there. All right. Well, Tucker,
1: thank you very much. It's been very interesting. I look forward to seeing your night air show tonight. And uh, this is Russ Rosleski and Victoria Neuville for Stuck Mike Avcast. Well, as you can tell, we had a great time making those interviews and talking to lots of fun and interesting people.
2: Uh, It has really been a great week. Any closing comments, Larry? Uh, uh, Learning to fly, living to fly, loving to fly with all of our friends around us. There's like a half a million people here. There's 12,000 airplanes on the ground to come and see. There's nothing like this anywhere in the world. Be here this year or next year. Be here. That's right. Absolutely right. Bill?
4: Yeah, there's nothing else like it. If you haven't seen it, you cannot believe it. Just like Larry says, I mean, it is the center of loving to fly.
3: Victoria? If you don't leave with a smile on your face, something is majorly wrong with you.
1: I think you're right about that. Well, this is Russ Roslescu. we got Larry and Bill and Victoria. And for everybody else at home, of course, Carl and Sean Moody and Rick Felty and Tom Frick. And did I forget anybody? I think I got everybody. Oh, have a great week,
0: and thanks for listening to Stuck Mike Abcast. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast.